HMP. And good afternoon, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. It's an exciting afternoon uh, we have with us. Um, the last of our candidates for the Attorney General's office, Lieutenant Governor's office, other statewide and local offices. Uh, this, is, this is it, because the primary is only a couple of work days and then a long holiday weekend away. It's on September 6th. For those of you who are going to be doing your early voting, um, you have until the end of Friday to get those votes in. And for those of you who have absentee ballots, you have until September 6th, that is Tuesday, to get yours in. And for those of you who are going to do what I do, which is go in and actually vote in a polling place, um, we have September 6th right in front of us. And with us today, I'm grateful for the second time in studio, is the Salem uh, Mayor Kim Driscoll, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Lieutenant Governor. Hello, Kim. Hey, great to be here. Oh, thank Again. you for being here. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, so I guess my first question, I've been thinking about my first question for a while. You announced on January 11th that uh, uh, you were going to be running for lieutenant governor. I, I didn't do the math. It's something like 250 days ago, I figure, because it's eight months yeah. times about 30 days. And I'm wondering whether the arc of your campaign has followed the trajectory which you envisioned back then in January. You know, I will tell you that uh, running a statewide campaign, it's a big state when you've got to get around it. And if campaigns have phases, you know, early on, you're just focused on uh, getting uh, getting signatures prepared, getting to caucuses, getting to the convention. And it felt like after the convention was when we were in a full-out sprint, really trying to connect with voters and understand issues and challenges and, and work on the things that the solutions that we might have to help address them. So um, I feel like we're in a good place right now. People are starting to plug in. We've been competing with a beautiful New England summer in some ways as much as we're competing well, with dry, each other. Well, a dry, hot New England summer. Uh, but know. a summer coming out of COVID where people are, you know, oh. restoring gatherings and feeling like it's, uh, it's okay to have your festivals and get away. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I'm excited about where we are and looking forward to uh Who wants to, to think about Lieutenant Governor? I got a festival to go to this week. <laughs> right. No, I do understand. And it's true. Coming out of COVID, we were all like, had a sense of liberation and we sort of didn't want to be focused on the kinds of things that, that exactly. the candidate yeah. for statewide yeah. office wants us to be focused on. That's right. That's right. But we have punched our way through. So <laughs> <All right. laughs> Happy punching. So I... I actually wrote down what this question is because I'm sort of clumsy about delivering it. But uh, And this is what I wrote. I wrote, I don't really know Salem very well. I've been there only three times. Um, I can't tell you where the best walking trails are or where the best restaurants are or where the best kids' activities are. But I've lived here in the foothills of the Berkshire Mountains for over a half a century, and I know where those things are here. Um, and the reason why I'm mentioning that is because that level of familiarity, a lot of voters out here don't know Kim Driscoll, and they know that Kim Driscoll can't know this region the way she knows her own region. And uh, we have one of the three candidates is Eric Lesser. He is a neighbor of ours. So my question for you is, how do you reassure those voters that a vote for Kim Driscoll is a vote for somebody who really understands this region and its needs? You know, I don't think you By need the way, to. How was that set up? That was a good setup. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good. I liked it. Good. I, liked I worked it. on it. <laughs> I can tell. I can't read your handwriting. I no, can tell you that. Um, but uh, I would say to you, like, you don't have to be from Western Mass to really love and appreciate the opportunities here and see some of the challenges. And although I'm not the hometown gal, I really care about hometowns. Uh, as someone who's been a mayor of Salem for the last 16 years, I know what it means uh, to have effective strong state partner, helping you on the ground, address housing challenges, work on transportation woes, lean into the work around the climate and on childcare gaps. The issues that I hear about as I'm traveling around the Commonwealth, and we spend a fair amount of time in Western Mass, are not completely dissimilar to some of the challenges I hear in other communities. That's why I'm proud to have so much support on the ground, several local mayors, uh, state elected officials, who've said, look, we know what your experience is, we know that you're from Salem, but we want you in this role because we think you can be a strong partner here. I'll also say, while we have similar um, challenges, the solutions can be very, very different. You're talking about a place that might be a little bit more rural, where we're seeing declining school enrollment, where you have larger geographies but less people. That means transportation, public transportation in particular. Not the needs, MBTA. Needs to look different, right? Public transportation does not begin and end with MBTA. Thank you. And um, I'm hopeful that as someone who has been 
in the in the role of having to you know make sure my community is getting the sorts of services that it needs and relies on that people will see me as an ally to support those efforts here i don't think you need to be from western mass to want western mass to be successful and frankly as a statewide candidate i want all of our communities thriving that's going to be critical for the commonwealth if we have successful thriving cities and towns we have a successful thriving commonwealth and how does a lieutenant governor help happen make that happen you know, what we've seen for the last two administrations is lieutenant governor is that that chief ally to community leaders, uh, both Karen Polito and former uh, lieutenant governor Tim Murray, who was the mayor of Worcester, uh, played that role. I hope to amplify it uh, as someone who's been a mayor, a little bit deeper connection to what's happening on the ground. Uh, and at the time when we have historic resources, we're in for some choppy waters, no doubt about that. You can see things tightening up. We're already a high cost state, high housing cost everywhere. We now see rising uh, food prices, utility prices, making it more challenging, and interest rates and inflation are up. And we have historic surplus resources at the state level. So I think in my position, particularly with the experience I bring, how do we make that connection, bridge the needs of the community, knowing uh, what resources we have, both for technical assistance, for dollars, cold hard cash can, can do a lot of things, and sometimes it's getting the state out of the way. That's a language I love, one that I speak. I'm hoping to partner with our communities on a shared vision towards making sure we're successful here, mm -hmm. not only in Western Mass, but in all of our communities. So we have in Massachusetts uh, been reading for a few weeks now about a 1986 law that said that in the event that revenues don't meet what mm -hmm. the projection was at the time that taxes were set and registered and bills were sent out and paid, that there would be a refund to taxpayers. Um, I know that uh, we had a big economic um, bill planned, the legislature planned uh, to do an economic development bill. It never really got to it because um, of, of this gorilla in the room, right? Uh, this, how much is this really going to be? Where are you at in terms of that, uh, that, that two-faced issue? Number one, how much money goes back to the taxpayers and, and how much gets used? And number two, the economic development bill. Yeah, I mean, one, the economic development bill needs to get adopted. There were a lot of resources in there for housing, for child care, for community infrastructure projects that will be very beneficial at the local level. It's a shame it got left on the cutting room floor. There were other things that got done ahead of it. Um, I'm hoping that the legislature will come back in before the end of the calendar year and put our communities in a position to maximize those dollars and resources. Once we get the dollars locally, we have work to do to actually get them out on the street. So the sooner we can do that, the better. Too. A lot of um, talking will happen around those, uh, what should we do with these dollars? Yeah. Well, it's, there are a lot of important projects in that economic development bill. Hospital relief, affordable housing, a ton. Then we had two competing tax bills. One that was passed in 1986, which was sort of like everybody gets a little bit of a refund if we hit, hit a certain threshold. We still need to make sure we're going to hit that threshold. We'll know that in September. And then there was more targeted relief, recognizing that uh, there were areas that in good times we could help folks who were uh, more economically disadvantaged, that we could think about making course corrections in some of the existing tax laws that we had that would be beneficial for longer-term economic prosperity and to even help middle-class uh, families. Neither one of those passed. I think the legislature is trying to sort through what makes the most sense. Like we live in a land of laws. We currently have a law. I'd much rather have targeted relief, but we also have a law that was passed on the books and adopted by the voters. So I don't know how you're going to overcome that, um, and it doesn't feel like we can do both. So I know they're wrestling with this issue. You know, I hope the economic development dollars come. What a what a great blessing that we have that we have so many resources, and we're trying to figure out how to distribute them in a way that's going to lead towards longer-term economic prosperity. A lot of these dollars are one-time dollars that came to us through the federal government as part of the COVID recovery work. Um, you know, I know as a mayor, like direct accountability. I have to pass a budget. The buck stops with me. There's always more needs than you have dollars available. You've got to prioritize. Um, that's certainly something I hope to influence if we haven't figured it out before then. Um, but there is a sense of urgency. So I, I do hope the legislature gets to it and gets to it soon. Yeah. Uh, the other blessing that we have, speaking of blessings, that we have a legislature that it is oriented towards people. I mean, I, I count my blessings every day. And one of them is, I'm so glad I live in Massachusetts. I'm so You're glad. Here. I mean, it's true. That's where my ideology leans in the, in the democratic direction. And but so I'm far from unbiased. But um, health care, right to shelter state, 
fundamental freedoms around abortion rights. We could go on. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Happy to be the here. The Votes Act. Yeah, the Votes Act. Another right. great one, right? Happy to live here. Um, grateful that we can hopefully be a beacon in, for other places that are really struggling. I have family in Georgia, and uh, it is a it's a that's tough state from, to live you know, in. I did not know that, but yeah, that is a tough place to live these days. It, with well, uh, then too. Well, and even more so now when we know better. I would like to say we know better. I wish we knew better. Yeah. I know, but 26 states making voting harder as Massachusetts is struggling to make it easier. It, it really it's a head scratcher and a heart hurt. Yep, agreed. Speaking of heart hurts, um, there is an elephant in here in the studio, and I have to ask you about that. I already even talked about a gorilla. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of big creatures in this studio, but I, I have to ask you about this one. About a month ago, your two opponents, um, Dr. Tammy Govea and uh, Senator Eric Lesser, they co-authored a letter to the Massachusetts Democratic Chair, Gus Bickford, and they asked that the party denounce the super PAC leadership from Massachusetts Independent Expenditures Political Action Committee, and they asked that they, um, they called on you, Kim Driscoll, to disavow any PAC money you received um, from them and from any PACs. Um, a Globe article then identified a Christopher Collins as funding a, a super PAC to raise unlimited and undisclosed monies on behalf of you, Mayor Kim Driscoll, and your run for lieutenant governor. So I have to give you the opportunity to talk to our listeners and explain what all that is about from your perspective. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen the letter. I, uh, I did not receive a copy of that letter. Oh, but really? I will say that uh, I read the same article that other folks read in the Globe. Um, these organizations can't collaborate, can't coordinate. I have no idea what they're doing, uh, why they're doing it. Um, we've been really leaning into our race. You know, when you're running statewide and running a city, it uh, doesn't leave a lot of time for other things. And the things I hear about from voters aren't, you know, organizations who's doing what. It's really, what are we going to do about housing? How are you going to address the transportation woes? What are you doing to uh, take on the childcare gap? You know, climate crisis is real. We haven't done enough quick enough or deep enough. Those are the issues that I hear about from voters. That's what we've been sort of been leaning into. We're running our own race, uh, really talking about my experience, what I can bring to bear, and I can't speak to what outside organizations that I have nothing to do with are doing or but, why. But according to, I just checked this morning, and it it looks like the super PAC, the leadership for Massachusetts Independent Expenditure Political Action Committee, take a deep breath. That's a mouthful. They, right? right, it's a mouthful. And, and they filed saying they've given $230,000 to your campaign. They have given no money to our campaign. Individual uh, PACs, organizations like that cannot coordinate, cannot collaborate. We cannot have any communication with them. I have no idea what they're doing. I, uh, During the I'll, break, what, I'll show you what I saw and you, maybe you can explain it to me. What I know is what I read in the newspaper. This is This is... You know, by the way, there are uh, Environmental League of Massachusetts is a PAC, right? They're supporting candidates. So PACs are uh, are not something that is a nouveau concept. Uh, what is very clear are what the rules are, and that is no coordination, no collaboration, no communication, and that's why we're focused on our own race. You know, um, we are, are grateful, I think, to have racked up a ton of support in the Commonwealth. I am the endorsed candidate of the Massachusetts Democratic Party of Planned Parenthood, of Emily's List, of the Mass Women's Political Caucus. We have just about every single mayor in counties throughout Western Mass, Central Mass, the South Coast. I'm grateful for, you know, the leadership uh, that's that's leaned in and wants to see me as lieutenant governor knowing the experience I'll bring in that position. And that's what we've been focused on. Okay. With that, we will take a break. We're going to be back in three minutes. We are talking to Salem mayor and candidate for lieutenant governor of Massachusetts. Kim Driscoll will be right back. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Given the search and seizure at Mar-a-Lago and inflation coming down and Biden's recent legislative victories, is there a new calculus for the 2022 midterms? Join us when we hear the views of Josh Silver, the founder and executive chairman of Represent Us, who will be our guest. Thursday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP. News, information, and the arts. 
part of what I love about being a therapist in community mental health is really getting to know people who are from really different backgrounds, including serving people who are the most vulnerable. Dan is a therapist at ServiceNet. There's a culture of thinking more deeply about the work we're doing. And for me, when I do that, that feels really good. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. Hi, this is Nick Seaman from the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst. We're now open seven days a week from 8 a.m. And we have live music every Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 1. We continue to make our great sandwiches, bake our wonderful croissants, Danish breads and desserts, and brew Dean's Beans Organic Coffee. We also have a freezer full of entrees to go that will help you simplify your life. And if you're having a party, let us know how we can help you make it a success. Just call our catering department to talk about menu options. On a political note, always remember that the Second Amendment says, quote, well-regulated. Make sure you call your congressman and senator and demand that they do their jobs. We're the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst, having fun with food and politics since 1986. Save 30% at WHMP.com. Soon you may be able to renew your passport without a trip to the post office. The State Department is operating a pilot program that allows people to renew their passports online. People who are testing it out should still expect to wait between 8 and 11 weeks for their passports. Some things never change. Starbucks is bringing back its pumpkin spice latte this fall. Then again, some things do change. Because of inflation, the coffee retailer is raising the price on a grande-sized cup to $5.45 to $5.95, depending on location. That's about a 4% increase. The Federal Trade Commission has filed suit against an Idaho-based data broker, accusing it of selling location data from millions of mobile devices that could be used to track individuals' movements. The suit claims the company violated a section of the FTC Act. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 And we WHMD. are back with uh, Salem Mayor uh, Kim Driscoll. You are in the last furlong before the primary. <laughs> Six days September. to go. So what do you have to do? That, what have you been doing today? You know, today uh, we started our day in Greenfield. Good uh, place to start. Yeah, excellent. Uh, met with uh, Franklin Policy of Governments, uh, the Rural Policy Commission, uh, really wanted to better understand from their perspective what they saw as the priorities. Really good discussion around some of the challenges that are unique, especially to some of our more rural communities uh, and the number of rural communities. It's, you know, not just Western Mass. The rural community designation is a number of communities on Cape Cod. You know, these are uh, communities that have special needs for whom the current way of funding items is not always working. So can I, I'm going to interrupt you and then I'm going to yeah. continue to ask you what you did today. But uh, when you're talking with people in a region like in Greenfield, the Franklin mm -hmm. County uh, Council, Regional Council of Government, um, are you listening? Do, do they want you just to listen or they want you to, they want to hear what you want to do? Yeah, it's a pretty interactive discussion. I mean, some of the challenges around housing are very real uh, here and in my communities and the work that I've done as a housing policy leader. Uh, we talk about transportation in Salem. We have our own on-demand public rideshare service that today uh, was shared that we were a model for what they're looking to do with their on-demand rideshare system uh, that they're operating and hope to put into place. Uh, looked at our study, our plan, and our are echoing that work. So it was really iterative. When I'm in a room with a group of municipal leaders, that is home base for me. I worked for the city of Chelsea coming out of receivership, reformed their style of government, working in city hall. I am a, I'm a muniac, some of us would say. <laughs> I really appreciate the that. role. I'll remember that. I really appreciate the role of local government. I think it's the branch of governing that we rely on the most, educating our kids, keeping our neighborhood safe, investing in those places where we make memories, and trying to make sure we're thinking about economic prosperity along the way as we do it. And so it was a really iterative conversation, and I really appreciate the work that's underway to equalize the playing field. You know, uh, their challenges are different in rural places. The funding sources don't really reflect that, and we need to work towards that as, as we move forward. Um, so other than uh, beautiful Greenfield and this gorgeous studio at WHMP, 
What else did you do today? Well, we, we were in Greenfield again, uh, stayed in Greenfield to meet with the sheriff and John Merrigan to talk about Chris the opiate. Donnellan. Yep, Chris yep. Donnellan to talk about the opiate um, roundtable and some of the work, really uh, amazing work that they're doing. Our local jails have been really great. Really responsive, both on reentry programs, on substance use disorder, you know, obviously we all say wanting to end the cycle and uh, leaning into that work in a way that uh, can be extrapolated statewide. So I was doing a lot more listening with respect to that particular reentry program. Reentry is so important. If we're going to have a valid society, we have to reenter people. Critical. I, hey, as mayor, everybody's coming back to their community, right? Especially at that level, the county jail level. How do we, how do we make sure when they're coming back, uh, we're putting them, putting their best foot forward and giving them an opportunity, them, those young men and women who found themselves incarcerated, who now aren't, right? What's that second chance look like? How are we supporting it? Um, we left Greenfield, and we were in Chicopee. Uh, Representative Joe Wagner uh, had an endorsement presser with him. Terrific. Really appreciate his support. Someone who's retiring after 31 years of service has been a real transformational leader, real cheerleader for Chicopee. Uh, grateful to have his support. And uh, then we did some media avails, and now we're here with you. So All right. It's been a full day, one that I really enjoyed. What are you doing after you leave the studio? We are going to Springfield. We have a meet and greet uh, with Springfield supporters and, uh, and uh, have an event in Springfield with a fundraiser. So it should be good. It's really great. So uh, for those, um, uh, those listeners, listeners who haven't heard you explain, why do you want this job? I mean, this is an odd job. You're going to chair the governor's council. That's an important function. You're going to be uh, working with the governor, but why do you want to be lieutenant governor as opposed to all the other municipal and statewide jobs available? Yeah, you know, I love being mayor. I think when you're a mayor, you live in a community that you love and you're able to see problems and challenges and work on them. And after doing that for 16 years in my community, I'm, I'm still the mayor there, lots of promise ahead in Salem. I know firsthand, though, you need a strong state partner. So many of the challenges we face at the local level, and cities are very much a microcosm of the challenges we face in the Commonwealth. We don't have enough housing, and we sure as heck don't have enough of it that's affordable to community members. The climate crisis is real. We haven't leaned into that work deep enough or fast enough. We're seeing all the impacts, whether it's droughts, extreme heat, extreme winters. We have so much work to do in that space. We know the transportation woes, whether it's the MBTA, and I don't think it ends and begins with the MBTA, or in uh, more regional centers where the geography is bigger. We still need to be able to make sure people can get around. Most of us are going to outlive our ability or desire to drive a vehicle. What are we doing about it? And I think I can take this opportunity and experience as mayor, as a local leader, and now bring it to a, a level of, at the state to partner with a Governor Healy and really influence and implement an agenda that can make the work of cities work better. Like good cities, they don't happen by accident. It takes intentional leadership and it takes partnership. And that's what I hope to do as Lieutenant Governor. And it takes time, which leads me to my final question. How are you going to accomplish all that and still be a mother? <laughs> well, thankfully, my three kids, who were three, five, and nine when I first took office, our youngest is now a college sophomore. So I don't have as many uh, young uh, phone, phone calls from young adults asking me what's for dinner at five o'clock. Uh, so I'll have a little bit more time. I feel like uh, this is, you know, just personally a good time for me with, with young adults. And frankly, young adults who I think we're all worried about, that generation may not do as well as their parents at a time when housing is so expensive, many of our young people are feeling like, can I still live in Massachusetts? Can I still own a home in Massachusetts? So for me, this is really a labor of love and wanting to give back to a Commonwealth that's given so much to me. I'm not from here. I'm a Navy brat. I was born in Hawaii. My mom's from Trinidad. You know, I came to Salem to go to college. And as we talked about earlier, you know, Massachusetts means a lot. It's the values that I represent. I'm proud to live here and proud to have raised my family here, but also worried about the future ability for people to stay here. College is more expensive. Housing is more expensive. The ability for our young adults to stay here and for Massachusetts to remain competitive is at stake, and I want to work to make it better. Well, I'm really grateful that you gave us and our listeners the opportunity to meet you for a second time. Um, and I guess now um, it's up to you listeners. On uh, September 6th, there's a really important role for you to play in choosing the next leadership panel for at least the Democratic nominees for that panel um, for the coming years. And I hope that all of you are making plans to vote on September 6th. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. Her name is Kim Driscoll. She's running for the Democratic nomination for to be your lieutenant governor. We'll be back with Nan Parati and... Uh, her interesting thing right after these messages. Do come back.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Tonight at 6 p.m. in Pulaski Park, there will be an overdose awareness event co-hosted by Tapestry Health, the Northampton Recovery Center, Hampshire Hope, and others. Speakers will teach the public about harm reduction and recovery resources, drug testing, syringe access programs, peer support groups, and the use of Narcan, all for free. State Rep. Mindy Dom says these programs are essential to providing comprehensive public health services to our most vulnerable community members. You know, we've seen in 2021 there was an increase in the number of people who died as a result of unintentional opioid overdose in Massachusetts. And a large part of that was fueled by the COVID-19 pandemic. Tapestry Health will also be offering a series of virtual Narcan tutorials available through their website. Crews in South Hadley responded to Route 202 last night for reports of a motorcycle accident. According to South Hadley Police, the collision happened in the area of the Hangar Pub and Grill of South Hadley on Route 202. Police said the accident involved the motorcycle and another vehicle. No word on any injuries at this time. An injured kayaker is recovering after being rescued by the Deerfield Fire and Police Departments last night around 9 p.m. The Greenfield Drone Unit assisted in locating the empty kayak with a thermal camera. They also used the camera to locate the injured individual. The Deerfield Fire District used their inflatable boat to extricate the individual, which had to be manually pushed due to low water levels. Mostly sunny and breezy this afternoon, a high of 80 to 84. Evening temperatures under mostly clear skies will be in the 70s, an overnight low of 52 to 58 tonight. Sunny tomorrow, a high of 76 to 80, upper 70s and sunshine on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision making. Every Saturday morning, hear real-life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Francis Rayum, Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 101.5, 1400, and 1240, WHMP. Hello, I'm Hampshire County Sheriff Patrick Haling. And I'm a Democratic candidate for sheriff focused on progressive community-based programming. I'm running for re-election this year. I've been your sheriff for six years, and I love the work I do because I help people to be productive members of the community. Please remember to vote for me on September 6th. Learn more by visiting our Facebook page or website, klaneforsheriff.com. Thank you. Paid for by the committee to elect Patrick J. Kahalane. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday, Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at whmp.com. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Dan, it is Wednesday afternoon is. at 4.30. It is. You right. know what that means, Buzz, right? I forgot. What you does forgot. it mean? Well, I'll actually have Nan here to tell you what it that means. It means me. <laughs> I'm here with my friends. Nan Parati is here with an interesting thing. Yes, and I have my very interesting thing back with me this week, Justin Caps who was here last week talking about sobriety. 
And he's back this week talking about some more sobriety, or the same sobriety, but again, and further. Because, because it's, it is very, very interesting. So many people in the world, this is a really, I mean, everybody either drinks or they don't drink. And it's, it's important. And a lot of people have a lot of issues. I see more and more famous musicians deciding to go sober. So I think it's a really important thing people are talking about or thinking about these days. But apropos to what I think is about to happen, mm -hmm. what I think is about to happen, is, uh, I was once told by an addiction specialist that the most addictive substance is food. That is true. And that's actually, mm. you just usurped one of my questions. Oh, how Thanks dare so you do much. that, Buzz? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you usurper. That's the last thing I'm saying. That better be the last thing you've ever... <laughs> I'm going to go eat. <laughs> Cav says, actually, is one question I had further down, but I'll ask it right now. I know that, because I know you, and we said this last week, I've known you for quite a while now, and, I, and we're close in families. You're kind of my nephew-in-law, and we spend a lot of family sure. holidays together. And I, I remember last Christmas or sometime talking about that because with you, because... After you stopped drinking, you had some other addictions you had to deal with. Uh, as I recall, the, I remember to the, our big family Christmas dinner, you brought your own food because you said that you, were, you had discovered some other addictions. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit and see what, talk about that for a second, how addiction works. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. So I'm glad to be here. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. The... Something that was, I, I would say, a bit of a letdown. I thought I would transcend in some sort of nirvanic state when I figured out how to stop drinking, right? That mm -hmm. was sort of, you know, it was the, the source of everything. And when I had determined, okay, you know, this is my problem. And then I went a period of time without drinking and, and you know, was working through the program of recovery. I very soon started to realize that it was not my only problem. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, you know, we touched upon this a little bit last week, but ultimately what I was attempting to do was fix some inner problems with them, with some outside solutions, uh -huh. some things that I could control, consume. Right. Right. And so you know, separating myself from my favorite solution, which was uh, drinking, it became incredibly apparent that I had very little control over a lot of things, one of which was food. Uh -huh. um, you know, it was something that I tangoed with and tried to control in a lot of ways. And so that began to fill the void as I was in early sobriety, early recovery. I, I just ate my way through all of the feelings and emotions and life, dealing with life now in this whole new way without my favorite substitution. That's so know? interesting. Had you ever had a situation with overeating before or was this new? Yeah, I've been doing it my whole life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, there's something really magical in my experience through the 12 steps of recovery and really what it is, is the alcohol or the substance, whatever that happens to be, it's, it's really only the beginning. And so that, that was my experience. I began to have some space to take a true look at my life experience. And there were a number of things that I had picked up over the years, really starting in childhood. And they were... They were a solution to a chaotic, at times, mm -hmm. uncomfortable, for sure, uh, existence. As a kid, I was trying to find some comfort and ease in the world, uh -huh. you know? And, and uh, some of us are creative, and some of us are willing to push that envelope <laughs> a little bit further than others. And that's definitely me. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have gone down a lot of avenues, and, and that was one of them, for sure. And probably, you could make the argument, my first. Uh-huh. So... Mm -hmm. I, I, this is Dan, I, I had a, a question here. So if you're battling drinking, you stop that battle, but then you now are uh, over consuming food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you then overcome consuming food? Like could, could drinking come back into it? Like how do you, how do you stop that cycle of addiction? Yeah, how did that's you? It's a, a great, it's a great question. And it's sort of a whack-a-mole, right? Or it can be. Right. Uh, mm. 
you know, and, and I think, I, I do think that there's a space absolutely for this conversation within the context of addiction, but really it applies across the board. Mm. In, in, in my experience, we all are trying to live as uncomfortable human beings and we reach for the easier thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, society as a whole has, I would say, gravitated and flowed towards those things because we consume them, we'll pay money for them and they're readily available because of that. And so in, in my experience, what the, the slow arduous process was, I believe coming to realize that I have to make sure that I'm taking action towards the first and foremost, the thing that's potentially going to kill me, you know, and for me, that was alcohol for sure. Yeah. But now there's all of these other things that I've been practicing as well. You know, I'd stack them on. It was a true cocktail wow. <laughs> of substitutes, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And so the, now the process has been peeling back those layers and looking at those one at a time while keeping that first and foremost, you know, which for me is, is a number of different actions, you know, going to meetings, working with other guys in the program, things like that. Um, but, you know, even eating has not been the only thing that has, you know, has reared its ugly head, so to speak. Uh -huh. I can find easy comfort in a lot of things. And uh, Nan, if you don't mind, I'm yeah. just asking one more question. And I want you kind of to branch out outside of the individual and what you think it means on a sociological societal level, uh, because I'm pretty sure you're not the only one battling this, Right. this form of addiction. I mean, I have read the, the British comedian Russell Brand and his work on <laughs> addiction, uh, first from drugs, but he, he takes a sort of larger lens about addiction and what it means. And I'm curious to know from you, since you battled it multiple times, what do you think it means, this, this sort of cycle of addiction? Is it constructed? Is it part of our lives that sometimes we don't deal with that just builds up and so we're overcompensating for addiction? What do you think? Sure. Well, you're after my heart when you're talking about Russell Brand. Love that guy. Um, <laughs> beautiful man. Beautiful man in multiple ways. I think that there is an underlying threat with all of this and and it is the human condition it's just hard to live hmm. you know that has been my experience however the more that i lean into that and find ways to accept it and for me that process has looked like finding other people who have also struggled with the same struggles that i have and have come together. You know, it seems to be that ultimately the only way through it is through a collective as opposed to going at it alone, uh -huh. which I tried to do. I really, really tried to do, you know, and there are a lot of different elements of psychoanalysis and things like that that we certainly could go into ego and things like that and how how that has, you know, come through and the 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 thread, the fabric of society, things like that. But I do think that it is, it is the struggle of humanity, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and it, I did not transcend like I hoped I would. And, and ultimately I have come no cl closer to perfection, but what I, what I did find is that there is a way to deconstruct the process, the cycle that you can get sucked into, which is essentially, I have feelings and emotions. Uh -huh. And then I have thoughts and ideas about how to deal with that, sometimes subconscious, right away, instantaneous. And then I would always take action based on my own thoughts and ideas, and then I would have consequences. And then I would just, I would just chase my tail in that cycle. And asking for help, it brought something else into uh, those thoughts and ideas before I acted upon, you know, myself and how I was trying to survive as a human. So, yeah. Wow. There's a ton to unpack there. We are going to take a break. Um, we are talking with Justin Caps about some 
important stuff. We're talking about addictions. We're talking about life. Uh, and we are um, gaining some insight. So we will be back with Justin Capps and Nan Parati right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no-hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle. Rob Avery from Lundgren Honda. We're all looking to get the most for our money when it comes to buying gas. How is your gas mileage doing? Is it as good as when you first got your vehicle? Let Lundgren Honda help. We will have one of our technicians perform an express oil change service. It will change your oil and filter and fill the engine with the correct oil. Check and set the tire pressures to the proper specs and make sure that your air filter is clean. All of these make a big difference when it comes to gas mileage. Call, stop by, or make an appointment online and mention this ad for 10% off. Consumer Satisfaction Award winners two years running. Lundgren Honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience. See the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 Federal Street and LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. For complete contest rules for WHMP, please visit WHMP's website at whmp.com and click on the Contest and Rules tab. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Nan Parati and her interesting thing this week, which is really similar to her interesting thing last week. It is Justin Caps. By the way, you haven't plugged Justin's Entertainment business. I know. There's so much to talk about. Justin Capps has <laughs> Cap It Off Entertainment, and uh, he does all kinds of That's Cap of, with two Ps. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think Cap It Off, C-A-P-P-I-T-O-F-F dot com is his website. You can go there and see all the fun stuff he does. And I do think this is such an interesting conversation, which is the whole point of my being, but because we're talking about so many different kinds of addiction. And, and Caps, the question I have for you is because you are so deeply thinking and looking at yourself and do through this all the time, what is there a difference in your life as a person who was avoiding thinking about addiction and a person who thinks about addiction in your just day-to-day -day life? Not should I drink, should I not drink, but just getting up, going to do the things you do in a day. Is there a difference in your day-to-day -day life as a person who is really aware of this sort of stuff? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, well, I have, my life is, my daily life is punctuated with reminders. Mm -hmm. 
to be honest. And I, and I think that that is part of what has worked for me is that it, it had to kind of permeate my life mm-hmm. in order for, you know, we just sort of before the break, you know, discuss this, this linear progression of, you know, emotions or feelings and the thoughts and ideas and then actions and consequences. And, and now so many of the thoughts or, or I should say really actionable ideas in my life were handed down to me from others who have already got the sample size, you know, on their side, mm-hmm. they, that it's worked for them. And so on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis, I'm aware of it, but also, you know, the work that I'm typically involved in, and I certainly do not per- do it perfectly, but it, it really truly is inward, you know, whether it's meditation, prayer, whatever that happens to be, it really is trying to right size me mm-hmm. so that I'm not running the show. And and that has changed that has changed everything 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 because whether it's whether it's the business or personal relationships you know the the motivation has become how can i get out of the way and serve others hmm. you know uh, esteem self esteem comes from esteemable acts and that was that was taught hmm. to me <laughs> so late in life just you know introduced to me through this uh, program and and that is now the common denominator and motivation uh, if I am if I'm in the solution which I'm not always by the way my ego is running rampant at all times but it's so it's a struggle yeah huh that's interesting very very interesting um, let me ask you this too okay okay so you you know I know that you said that community is what has helped you get you know start you started it with community it's good for you. I was talking to a guy about your age not too long ago who's been a drunk since he was born, I believe. We've known mm. each other for a million years. He used to work for me. That was a disaster. Um, and uh, he told me that he had, you know, he's not drinking now, but he's having a heck of a time because he goes to mm. AA meetings and feels like, oh, crap, I don't know those people. They don't relate to me. I don't relate to them. Um, and he's looking for his people. How does one mm. find one's people? If, how does one find one's people out there, do you think, in this sort of situation? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a great question. It's been, I I have experienced, you know, 12 step AA rooms, things like that. I've experienced them in two vastly different ways. Mm -hmm. When, when I first came into the program, when I dragged myself to a meeting, I sat in the back and I played a game. People would walk in and I would say, I wonder what's the worst thing that he's done. Wonder how many DUIs she has. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, what kind of degenerate is this walking in here? And I was attempting to disqualify myself. I can't be a low life like ah, this. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of preconceived notions about that. And ultimately, what happened was I stuck around long enough to start to listen. And that's and that, what I started to hear. Was it in that one meeting, or were there several, a few meetings that made you several? Went to yeah, okay. went to a ton. Uh-huh. Went to a ton. I was actually going to prove them wrong, so uh-huh. I actually decided to take on a challenge and go to ninety meetings in ninety days. And so that's that's what I did, and and eventually I started to hear them share things that I could relate to. There were similarities, huh. you know, and that was that was the starting point. That was the starting point, but. You know, if I don't know who I am or what the problem is, then how am I to know if they're even my people? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm just completely oblivious. Mm-hmm. And I was. Wow, that's very mm-hmm. interesting. And so then after that 90-day challenge, what happened then? Well, what had happened, which was uh, pretty interesting, I hadn't drank in 90 days. <laughs> And I thought that's pretty wild because it had been a very long time since I'd been able to go without doing that. Uh-huh. But I would say more than that, on you know, that's sort of an on paper, but more than that, I began to feel that I was a part of a group that there were no ulterior motives. I wasn't, uh, you know, paying an entry fee or something, you know, there's right. a general sense that people were there out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. doing the right thing. And, and that had not been me for the majority of my life. And so I wanted to, 
I wanted to be in close concert with these people that seem to have a life that I think I wanted and I think that I needed, but I didn't know how to get there. And so, you know, I always tell the story that past me, my transmission would fail and I would look up a YouTube video, watch about seven minutes of it. I'd be like, I'm good to go. I got this. And then I would just drive a busted car uh-huh. instead of taking it to a mechanic. Uh-huh. They already know. Yeah. They already know how to fix that transmission, you know, and these are, are hundreds of thousands, millions of people that uh, that are are slowly recovering from this thing that I was struggling with. And so that's that's where it started. And now it has grown from there. That was the starting point. And now it's grown from there. I don't know if this is a good question or not, but I'll let you know. but it but it dawns on me when after 90 days. No, let's rewind the tape. Let's go mm. back to something you said that I think is pretty profound, which is self-esteem doesn't come from uh, outer space. It comes from esteemable acts, I think is what you said. So now you've just been clean for 90 days. Not an easy Mm. thing to do when you've been addicted to to alcohol, um, Mm. which is an extremely addictive substance. So, Mm. but then you looked at other people to find comfort with yourself, relying on other people rather than taking that moment and saying, look what I just did. I was able to not drink for 90 days. That's an esteemable act. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not, it's probably not either or, but I, you can't help, I don't think, but feel good about yourself after 90 days of abstinence. You know, I felt great, but I was also beginning to feel life. And it wasn't great. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a lot going on. Uh-huh. You know, and and I was reaching for some of those other simple solutions. But what I did see, you know, 90 days, but then I would be in that meeting and someone would be there who'd been sober for 25 years and they're still coming back. And I thought, why are they doing that? You know, and I was attracted to that, attracted to someone who could have discipline like that consistency. And then, you know, you go talk to somebody who has achieved something like that and they'll tell you it's not me. It's me having given my life over to something else bigger than me. That's usually what they'll say. And, and that has been my experience. And I'll still struggle with it all along the way. But, but truly getting outside of myself and thinking every day, how can I be useful and of service to others? That has changed everything. And, you know, for in my walk, the, the, you know, the 12-step program of recovery is what worked for me. And it's not to say that that has to be the way for anyone. But I would say on, on a broader sense underlying that the best that I've ever felt is when I am giving what I have to someone else without ulterior motives. Caps, we were talking last night or emailing, and you said that I could actually ask you for your contact info. That if somebody actually wanted to contact you, they could. Is that still okay? Can they contact you? Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. How would they yep. do that? Yeah, so uh, you can either email me at capitoff, that's C-A-P-P-I-T-O-F-F, at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, I, I would also encourage folks just in general, you know, these, th- there are so many resources out there. And I think, I think maybe we're going to even make something available, but, uh, you know, afterwards for people to, to gain online. But, you know, what do you have to lose well, by getting unfortunately, out there and we getting have, around someone. We're about to know? be cut off, so we are. <laughs> yeah. He's got a break. His name is Justin Caps. We are so grateful, and he says that the way to feel good about yourself is by doing for others, and I think that's a great place to leave it. Justin, thank you so much. Nan, thank you so much for introducing us to Justin. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Thank you again for having me. Yeah. Okay, our pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow in the afternoon. Buzz four o'clock. Stay with us. This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHFD. Minutemen football lives here. Olsen lops it. Josiah Johnson, end zone, touchdown, Massachusetts. Daylight, end zone, touchdown, Ellis Merriweather. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.